For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, or at least for the first time in a while, a few weeks ago we started a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. This is week four of the series, and today our topic is the fruit of peace. So welcome, and before we get going, let's uh, just say one more word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, thank you just for this time. Thanks for bringing us all here to worship you today, Lord. Thank you for just your word that we can hear out of, and I just pray that you would speak to us through your word, and uh, give me the words to say, and just be magnified and be glorified, Lord, with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. That's Galatians chapter 5, and if you're using a uh, Bible from the seat back in front of you, that's going to be on pages 974 and 975. We're not going to get to Galatians chapter 5 until a little later on in our service, but uh, we are going to get there, I promise you. And uh, the majority of our time is going to be spent there, and we're going to just use a, a few different texts before we get there. But I, So I do ask that you turn there if you have your Bibles with you today. A few weeks ago, I was at the beach with a friend, and as we, as we were leaving the beach, we were going to walk from the beach back into the city to go home. Uh, so as we did that, we went down the steps to go underneath the underpass, underneath Lakeshore Drive, again back into the city. And as we did that, I noticed two things. The first thing, there was a statue. And on that statue, there was a little plaque with a description on it. And we didn't, we didn't want to read that description. It didn't catch our attention that much. But uh, I did notice just one word on that description, and that word was peace. And as I just turned and we kept walking through the underpass, I looked at the walls of the underpass and I noticed that there was graffiti all over the walls. And in the graffiti, there was a huge peace sign spray painted there. And I just, this was, I saw these things during the time I was preparing my sermon. And it just kind of went to show me that the, the topic or the word of peace is everywhere. It's thrown around everywhere. It's talked about in the news all over the world. It's you see it on bumper stickers on cars. And it just kind of goes to show that, that all people want peace. All people want peace. They want inner peace of their mind and their heart, and they want outward peace in their relationships. Every day and everywhere in the world, people are searching for peace. People want peace from anxiety or stress or depression, so they do things like meditate or exercise, or they do things that could even harm them, like... Uh, abuse alcohol or drugs. People want peace every day. I mean, you walk into a grocery store to the Jewel, and right at the, right as you walk to check out, they have those new little things called fidget spinners. That you, uh, you hold on one finger and you just spin them, and the idea of those is that, you, that you're just relieving your stress. The, the brand that makes those is called, I think it's, excuse me, it's called the word stress is actually in the name of the brand. It's all it's all about just relieving the stress. People want peace. Well, just like just like the whole world wants peace, everyone in this room wants peace as well. Whether you're a Christian in this room or not, we all desire peace. We all go through things every week that try to take away our peace. We face loneliness or depression, or anxiety, or, or just anger, or fear. We face hurt in relationships. 
with family and friends. Or we may we may leave, even not feel peace with God, even if we're Christians. We may feel guilt or, or something. Things try to take away our peace all the time. We have to get things done at work by admitted certain deadline. We may have to get certain grades in school in order to pass a class or to uh, just get accepted in the college we want to go to. A husband and a wife may have a disagreement and they may just take all the peace out of the house in an instant. We may be constantly worried about our physical appearance or how do we look. Or we may simply be struggling with a certain sin in our lives that we just can't seem to beat. Every time we think of this sin, we, we feel shame about our past, or we feel fear about our future, and just that sin getting the best of us and ruining our life. Well, like I mentioned earlier, we're started on a series of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, in the first sermon on this series, Pastor Tim, he preached on Galatians chapter 5, and in that sermon he said that all Christians... If you are a Christian, you believe the real gospel of Jesus Christ, then you will have the fruit of the Spirit being developed in you. And that one of the that part of that fruit is peace. But like I'd mentioned earlier, we all want peace, and even as Christians, so often we, we feel unpeaceful. We go through moments that do not feel peaceful. So today the topic the, the question that I want to answer, the thing that I'm, we're going to spend time in looking at God's word is how can we experience God's peace in unpeaceful moments? Or in other words, how can we take hold of God's peace in times of unrest? To answer these questions, first I'm going to give just a biblical definition of that word peace. What is peace according to God, according to the Bible? And then after we talk about that, I'm going to give just two ways that the Bible gives that we can just take hold of this peace that we have. So, to define the word peace, we are going to look to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And that's that's the main verse that we're kind of getting this sermon series from. That This verse says, if you have your Bibles and you're open, you can look there. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and it continues. So it's this word, peace. What does what did Paul mean when he wrote that word, peace? Because the world could define that word differently than what the Bible does. And sometimes it's hard to get the full meaning of what he meant just looking at our English translations. So as I studied this word more and just to see what it meant in the Greek and just to see what Paul meant by that, I came up with the basic definition of inward restfulness, calmness, in confidence in God's control and love in our lives. It's an outward unity with other people and with God as well. So an inward and outward peace. That's what this peace is. So first, this peace is, is like I just said, it's an inward quality. It's a peacefulness of mind and heart. Or it's a serenity, tranquility, a confidence and calmness, completeness. Even in crisis situations, it isn't an inward state of chaos, confusion, and fear. So the picture that I get with this this part of peace is it's 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 a picture of a beach, a calm beach in my mind. It was just at the at the time of the sunset, the waves are just calm. It's a calm night, not a storm and not cloudy in the skies. 
Not a, not a stormy, wavy, crashing ocean. That's the picture I get of this piece. So this piece is also, like I said, an outward piece. That, that inward piece that we have, it overflows and affects our relationships. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that before we were Christians, we were enemies with God. There's animosity between us and God. There's wrath. We deserve punishment. But now, if you're a Christian and you have this peace, this peace is, it's a peace that, that goes to the extent that it makes us children of God. It, it's peace that a loving, perfect father has with his kids. It's, it's now mutual love. So it's a peace with God, but it's also a peace with other people around us. It's a peace. This peace allows us to, when we have disagreements with people, this peace overcomes those disagreements. The disagreements don't get the better of us and cause us to lose relationships, but this peace characterizes us in such a way that we can overcome those things and we can just remain together as in relationships, in unity even. This peace just, it, it allows us to to have not a chaotic heart towards other people and fearful heart towards other people, but in unity of the same mind and of love. So that's what this peace is that Paul's talking about. That's this peace that Paul says that is produced in Christians. That's the peace that he says Christians have inside of them. And that's the peace that we want when we're, when we're feeling depressed. I mean, that's an amazing peace. So now how, how can we take, it, take hold of that peace when we're in moments that are not peaceful? This, so first of all, to answer this question, the, my first point is simply that we have to be Christians to experience this peace. We have to have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, the God of Peace, if we wanted to be able to expect him to produce that peace in us. Our God is the only source of peace. In the beginning, as most of us know in this room, he created the world, and it was good, he says. There was perfect peace in the world. It's called shalom in the Old Testament. It's a completeness, a wholeness, prosperity. It's, it's, just, it's peace. It's perfect peace. That's how it was in the beginning. And as we know, sin came and destroyed that peace, took it away. So he created the peace, and he's the only one that can restore that peace. No one else has the authority and the power and the peace to give it out. And it's only in Jesus Christ as he came back and died on the cross for us that we can now get that peace. We can now have that peace. And in the end, when Jesus comes again and in the final time, the peace is going to be restored fully and completely and perfectly. But even now, it's only him who gives the peace. Colossians 1 verse 17 says that even now he's holding all things together without Jesus this world would not hold together. John fourteen twenty six to 27 says, These things, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus said this to his disciples on the day before he was going to die on the cross. 
the very next day, he would he would win peace for all those who would believe in him. When he died on the cross, he reconciled us to God, well, those who believe in him to God. It's only Jesus who gives this peace. The peace that the world has to offer is not the peace that I talked about earlier. It's not lasting peace. It's not valuable peace that, that lasts in, in hard moments. Only the peace that Jesus gives is that kind of peace. With that said, we also have to be Christians to receive this peace, to, to be able to take hold of this peace, because only Christians have the Holy Spirit in their life. And it's the Holy Spirit, as we've been talking about, who is the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit, which is one of those fruit, part of that fruit is peace. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 39 says that this explicitly, that, that only Christians receive the Holy Spirit of God. Right before this passage, Peter has, he just preached the gospel. He preached the fact that Jesus, he came, he died on the cross to forgive sins. He rose again to give people new life. And it's only in him that, there, that salvation exists. Only in him is there forgiveness of sins. And he preached this to the people who had been there at the time Jesus was crucified. The very people who, who yelled, crucify him. So after Peter preaches this, this gospel to the people, it says that the people were pierced to the heart. They, were want, they, they wanted to know, okay, what do we do now? How can we be saved then? And to that, in response, Peter says, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. This is the point that I that I really this is the part that I really want to focus on. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself, so that's Christians. The Spirit is the foundation upon which the fruit grows. So without belief that we are sinners destined for hell, but that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose to life again to give us new life which means the receiving of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to send us. Without that, there will be no true peace produced in our lives. We also have to know the, the true gospel. Um, we have to be Christians to experience this peace in our lives because when we become Christians, our flesh is crucified with Jesus. In Galatians 5.24, right after Paul gets done talking to the people about how they were allowing their flesh or their sinful natures, to control them, he says, again, verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul also says in Romans 6, verses 6 to 7, that we know that our old self, our flesh, our sinful nature, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Our flesh, or sinful nature that we were born with, controls us like a slave master until we're saved. And when the sinful nature is in control, its works are going to be produced in our lives. Its works are going to be what characterizes us, not the fruit of the Spirit. So when someone is still under the control of the flesh, or when a Christian lives like he's still in control of the flesh, Hard times come, and all there is is the works of the flesh. The, the fruit of the Spirit, if you're a Christian, it's being quenched. Or if you're not a Christian, 
It just doesn't exist. Peace doesn't exist. Peace is quenched. And the fruit of the flesh that does that is that does characterize us in times of unpeaceful moments, it's described in Galatians five nineteen to twenty one. We're going to get there later, but it's described by things like enmity, which is hatred, or jealousy, fits of anger, divisions, and envy. And those things are obviously not peaceful. We've all in this room probably experienced those things in our life, and when you do. You definitely don't have inner peace, and you're probably not at peace with other people. People probably don't want to be around you. Those things lead to bitterness. So we we have to be Christians to experience this peace, because without Jesus, we're all still slaves to our flesh. And what comes from the flesh is opposite of the Spirit's peace. We have a deep, lasting source of peace, even when we go through painful relationships, or when our futures are, are just so unclear when the source of our of peace is controlling our lives rather than the source of chaos our flesh so a person who has not believed in Jesus Christ as the only lord and savior is still controlled by his flesh and his desires and he can't be controlled by God's spirit and his perfect desires one of which being peace so have you believed in Jesus Christ that he is real And that what he did for you on the cross can actually save you. Do you know him? Do you you know that he really was a true man? He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for for your sins, was raised to life on the third day to give those who would believe in him new life and that he's still alive today. He can, only he can save. Do you know him? Is he the Lord of your life? Can you have this peace? Do you have the source of this lasting peace in your life? And if you do, have you gotten off track from the truth? The Galatians who Paul was writing to, and and a lot of the, the scripture we're looking at today, they were Christians, but they were falling off track from the true gospel. They had been set free from their flesh. They had had it crucified when they accepted the gospel, but they were now forgetting the heart of the true gospel. And they were allowing their flesh to get the best of them. First off, they were slipping into the mindset that they were saved by their own works. Namely, in in their circumstance, it was circumcision. Like Pastor Tim talked about in the first week of the series, they were also slipping into the, the other extreme that said that it doesn't matter what we do because we're saved by grace. Everything we do is forgiven, so we can really do whatever we want. Here they were making the heart of the gospel, they were they were making it, Jesus is simply forgiver, instead of Jesus is Lord. In both of these ways that the Galatians were getting off track, were, they, were, it was, they were twisting the gospel in just slightly different ways. So have you allowed your flesh to creep in by falling into one of these, the same ways of twisting the gospel? Is your flesh getting the best of you, if you're a Christian, by, by allowing the gospel to be twisted in your mind? When the hardships come in in your life, and if you don't know him, then you're not going to find real and lasting peace even that is there even in crisis. Or when they come and you do know Christ, but you've let your knowledge of the truth of the gospel get slightly twisted, the flesh and its works are going to be waiting instead. 
Everyone who has not given their life to Jesus is still slaves to their flesh. And any Christian who forgets the heart of the gospel is also vulnerable to their flesh. They're not, they're not going to be in tune to, to the, this great peace as much as they could be. But there is grace for those who have not yet believed. And there is grace for any, any child of God who has wandered away, who has tried to run away. You can turn fully to Jesus, seek him in prayer, quiet your heart, and listen. Listen is often just something that gets forgotten about in prayer. Whoever believes in Jesus as Lord will inherit eternal life and will have true peace produced in them, even in terrible circumstances. His burden is light. It truly is light. I know one family that that really really lived this out and I just wanted to, to just to tell this short story to just show what this picture of peace can look like. So so there I was in youth group growing up in high school and I, as I was in that youth group there was a, a, a couple. They were an older married couple. They had they they were leaders in the youth group. I remember one week they got up front and they were asked to share their story of their daughter and what had happened was their daughter was dating a guy and they they really did not have just they, they weren't feeling good about this guy she was dating and they really warned her and said hey we really are not getting a good feeling from this guy there's something off with him we think you should not marry him but they continued and, and they said that she went on she went on and married him in the end and, and I forget all the details but I just remember them saying that he ended up actually shooting her and killing her. I don't know if it was an argument or it just escalated so quickly or or what, but he intentionally shot her and he killed her. And I just remember their story and them up there. And the crazy thing was that they were able to, after, after some months, it took some time for sure for them to, they had questions toward the Lord. They had anger, they had sadness, they were grieving, of course. But I remember them saying that they were able to go to that courtroom when the man was going to be tried. And they were able to go, walk up to him, look him in the eye, and forgive him. And then they even went so far as to give him a Bible. Because they still they still knew that they were, they were to care about him, his soul. They knew how much they were forgiven, so they were to forgive much as well. But they walked in there with a peace. It was a peace that surpassed all understanding. And that's just that's just what this peace can look like if we if we accept if we are Christians if we know the gospel believe the gospel and are free from our flesh. So the the second way that we can be in tune with this peace or take hold of this peace is that we can live as though our flesh truly have been has been crucified. Or in other words, we can enjoy and see the Holy Spirit develop peace in our lives as we live by the Holy Spirit and not by the flesh. So looking back to Galatians 5.24, it says, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its desires. For those of us who are Christians, because of what Jesus did for us, we really are freed from our flesh. But a lot of times we don't live like that. Even though our flesh has been killed, we can still go back to our old ways on purpose, or we can simply lose sight of the gospel and fall away slowly. We now have the ability to say no to sin, 
See, Paul talks about sin in that chapter of Romans 6 as our slave master. And a slave, terrible as terrible of a thing as it was and still is, a slave is, is at the bidding of his master. He does whatever his master says, and that's how we were towards our sin, but not anymore. We are freed from it. We now have the ability to say no to sin, but his desire still remains in us. We still, we're freed from our flesh, but we still have our flesh in us until Christ returns or until we pass away. But we've been adopted as children of God, but we can still try to run away and go back to our old selves. And this is something that threatens to take away our peace. Looking back to Galatians 5, 16 to 17, Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing what you want to do. The things that our sinful flesh wants are against the thing that God wants to produce in us. So which, whichever one of these we allow to exist more in our lives is the one that's going to show. Either the, the flesh is going to show its works in us, or the fruit of the Spirit is going to dominate us, and that is what's going to characterize us. So in other words, if we let our flesh, our sinful natures, control us, instead of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, then we will not have the fruit of the Spirit or peace thriving in our lives. We'll actually feel very unpeaceful. Like I said, earlier about the uh, the works of the flesh. Going back to verse 19 to 21 in Galatians 5, Paul says that what, what comes from the flesh is sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's a pretty terrible list. If we're letting our flesh reign in our lives, then it is these things that are going to be seen. They're going to be most evident. They're going to be dominating in our lives. And those things are opposed to the Holy Spirit and in, in, in His works in our life, one of which being, again, peace. We will not be in tune with the Holy Spirit's development of peace in our lives if our flesh is dominating. If we're not living in the reality that our flesh has been crucified. See, Christians, when they live in that in that, in the mindset of just slavery to sin, instead of the fact that they're really free from their sin, that's not who they are anymore. To the core of their being, they have been changed when they come to know Jesus. It's a terrible thing. Those are essentially, again, the opposite of peace, that list that I just read. We won't have inner peace, and people around us probably won't have peace with us if we're letting our flesh dominate. So to live by the Spirit and not our flesh, we need to understand how the flesh controls us, though. So Paul was writing to, again, the Galatians, and he was encouraging them not to fall in those two ways of the flesh, the, the two ruts. Um, those two ruts, they were, they were twisting the gospel a little bit. Into works, yeah. So the first rut, the first way they were twisting the gospel again, was they were living in a way that they had to do something to be saved. They were living by works righteousness. They were saying, okay, Jesus died and he did it for us, but there's a little bit something else we need to do as well. And this was leading to, to pride. 
They were saying that they can save themselves, believing that they were actually good. It was also leading to idolatry because they were calling themselves their own savior. So this is the flesh. Again, these are works of the flesh that are, are being seen produced as this the gospel is twisted in this way. And the second way that, again, that they were twisting the gospel was that they were, they were saying, well, we're saved by grace, so we can do whatever we want. The gospel is being twisted here again from Jesus is Lord, like I said earlier, from Jesus is Lord to Jesus is simply a forgiver. They were twisting the gospel. that said you are free from the, de the detestable sin, and they were living like slaves again. They were forgetting what sin really is. They were forgetting how God sees sin. See, this this living in this unreality when when a Christian goes back to allowing his flesh to control him, it's talked about a lot in Scripture. But one of the one of the most vivid pictures that, that it's given, it showed what this really is. What what's really going on when a Christian goes back to living to his flesh? It's shown in Second Peter very well. Second Peter talks about this as a dog returning to his own vomit. I, I I grew up with three dogs, and I've been around dogs a lot, and I've seen a dog throw up. Sorry, this is kind of gross. This is kind of gross, but it's this is it's good that it's gross because this is the reality of what happens when a Christian returns to his to his sin. But I've seen that dog walk back to his to his throw up and kind of sniff around, and then and literally start to eat his throw up again and I've run I've run over to dogs and I've been like no I've yelled at the dog and I've pushed it away but that's a gross thing but that's what happens when Christians who are free from sin this this ugly thing goes back to their sin so just like the Galatians were falling into these two ruts and having the gospel twisted in their minds we can often do that as well and when we do that is when we start living for our flesh. We either begin to forget that our salvation and righteousness are based totally on Jesus' work on the cross, or we lean the other way and begin to, to feed the passions of our flesh again and let, it, and let it grow. Either way, the flesh is growing in those circumstances. So I would ask us all here today, has your flesh gained the upper hand on any area of your life? Are we living in unrest because we think our salvation rests on ourselves. Do we do we have a stealthy pride that's kind of subtle, hard to see, or an idolatry in our life? Are we working hard to put up a, a good front before God? Or are we misusing God's grace and giving in to the passions of our flesh? I'll say I'll ask that one again. Are we are we misusing God's grace? which is in reality a beautiful thing, but it, it can be not looked as a beautiful thing because we forget how detestable sin is. Are we misusing that grace and giving in to the passions of our flesh? And if we are, what are we missing out on on the other side? What what fruit of the Spirit are we missing out on because we're, we're giving in, feeding the desires of the flesh? What is it for us that takes away our peace? Is there work of flesh in our life that could point to a deeper twisting or forgetting of the gospel in our life? Are we forgetting what sin really is again? So we need to live in light of the gospel. 
We need to live in the reality that we're free from our, our sin and flesh. But how? Well, Paul says pretty clearly, looking back to Galatians chapter 5 again, if we look at verse 16, he says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Only the Spirit's control and guidance of your life can give you peace over what the flesh desires. We can't do it ourselves. One way the Spirit guides us is through the Scriptures. Ephesians six seventeen calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting to notice here that the sword, the sword, the Word of God, is called the sword of the Spirit. It's His weapon, not ours. So when we submerge ourselves deeply into the Scriptures, when we allow the Scriptures just to wash over us, when we spend time reading God's Word, it's there that the Spirit will be allowed to guide us, to produce peace in us. We will be equipping Him to lead us. And in that, we will live according to Him, according to the Lord, according to the reality that who we are changed, how we are changed now, our true identities, instead of the, our flesh and the works of the flesh, which are, again, envy, jealousy, fits of anger. George Mueller was a man, he lived in the 19th century in England, and he, he was a man of great faith. He just, he left a huge legacy. And sort of what he was known for was just his, his faith, his, he wanted to be radical in his faith. He, he wanted to live in a, in a, just totally by faith. And one thing he, he carried that out by was he, he would never ask for money. He would never ask for money from anyone, even though he was in ministry, and, and he would never, he never lived by a full, a yearly salary. And now his thing was orphanages. That's that was his line of work or ministry, you could say. And there would be times, multiple stories. It's history. I mean, you can look, but multiple stories where David, or George Mueller would sit down with his orphans for dinner at night, and they would have no food on the table. And he would say, "All right, let's pray." And they would pray, and literally they would get done praying, and somebody would knock on their door, and and there would be a guy there from Portillo's or uh, Luminati's, <laughs> no, but there would be a guy just from a random restaurant or something nearby and he would he would say, hey look, we have all this food left over from some event or something and essentially, do you want it? It's just things like that were happening all the time, just miracles in his life. But something that, or that characterized his life was his reading of the Bible. David Mueller read the Bible, or I keep saying David, George Mueller read the Bible almost 200 times in his life. That's, that's nuts. But he said this about scripture. He said, For the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole, so through the whole Bible, not just pieces here and there, through the whole, with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I have been doing this for 47 years. I've read through the whole Bible about 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. So how can we be submerged ourselves in the scriptures? No one can ever be done with the Bible. No one can ever know everything that it has. And even if someone could, it's not about that. It's about relationship with God. That's what the Bible is about. It's not just some handbook to life. It is that, but it's also a huge part of our relationship with God because it's how he speaks to us and, and, and leads us. 
It's called his word for a reason. God is alive, and therefore his word is alive. God is powerful, and therefore his word is powerful. He is full of justice and mercy, and so is his word. Do we know that? Do we remember that about the scriptures? But as I was thinking about how just we can practically be getting in the scriptures more, because it's easy just to say we need to read our Bibles more. But I think one thing that really just stuck out to me in this was, I think we need to pray. Because we all have Bibles sitting around our house. I remember growing up, there was a Bible in all, there was a Bible almost on every floor of my house. You could find a Bible sitting, but I mean, I never picked it up and read. I never had the desire. It was, I know so often we can slip into this thing where the Bible is just, reading the Word of God is just, it's a task. It's a chore. It's kind of dull. So I think we need to pray that God would soften our hearts and remind us of the reality of what His Word is. It is His Word. It's the Word of the God of the world. So we, first off, I think we can just pray and ask that God would remind us what His Word really is and the power it really has. But I mean, there's a lot of other things we can do as well. We're, we're in a two-year journey Bible reading plan in, in the church right now. I mean, we can jump into that if we're not involved. Or we can look for another Bible reading plan. Or one thing I've been doing is just another way to keep Scripture on my mind throughout the day a little bit. Is I've been writing a, just a, a little verse down or two verses that have been speaking to me just in my devotions or something. And, and I carry that on a note card in my pocket. And every time I feel it, I'm just reminded of that, that Scripture, that piece of truth. That's just an example, but... But how can, we, how can we submerge ourselves more in the scriptures and be led by the Spirit, not our flesh? So just, just to review one more time, to experience God's peace in our lives, we have to know the creator of true peace. To know God's peace, to experience God's peace in unpeaceful times, we have to know the creator of peace. And then secondly, to, to take hold of the peace that we have as Christians. We have to live like we're really free from our flesh. We have to follow the Holy Spirit and live to Him. Let's pray.